Hey, Icon, it is good to be with you today. We are going to continue in our series on Romans entitled Released from Blank. And today we're going to look at how we are released from the law and what that means for our lives together as Christians. So first, before we jump in, let me go ahead and pray and we'll jump in. Father, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it, God. That even across a medium like this over video on the internet, God, you are able to move. That your spirit knows and sees each and every person who's watching right now, who's tuning in. You know what's going on in their lives. You know where their heart is before you. And I pray today, God, that by your power, your spirit would speak to their hearts the beauty of their place in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would bring a fresh sense of wonder that we have been released from the law and all of what that means for our lives as Christians, that that is incredible news, God. Would you convince us of that? Would you get us out from under some of the burdens we've placed on ourselves? And God, in this time, would you unite your power with my weak words? There's so much here to cover And I need your help to be faithful and to be effective for my friends here. So would you unite your power with my weak words and bear fruit as a consequence in our church, God. Father, we love you and we entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, you know... One of the things about living today is obviously the, uh, the way the internet has totally ruled our lives. We don't know how to live without it. Uh, I remember a time a little bit of when the internet wasn't really a thing, but most of my life it's been around. And the internet sometimes is really terrible. It's a really terrible place a lot of times, in fact. But sometimes there are some trends that happen on the internet that are actually really enjoyable. And so for me, you know, I'm on Instagram, but really my only purpose on Instagram is to either repost something that Icon posts or to just follow really, really funny accounts. In fact, every, every night when I get home, uh, me and Courtney, after the kiddos go down, we just get on my Instagram because I follow all the funny accounts and we just laugh together. It's one of my favorite things that the internet has produced some of the funniest things there is, whether it's memes or gifs and yes, gifs, not gifs, uh, or if it's just like fail kind of stuff. I, I love that stuff. It, it brings rest to my soul just to laugh at another person. And and one of the, one of the trends that has happened uh, that you've seen, especially when uh, 2020 was happening, was this idea, these like split pictures of uh, how something started and then how it's going at that point. And so there were a lot of funny ones in 2020 about, you know, here's how 2020 started and it's a picture of them like doing really well, really confident, really expectant for the year. And then how it's going would have been like some picture of them in their pajamas eating like their third bowl of chips or ice cream. And so it's meant to show like, oh man, here's how it started and here, here's how it's going. Some of them are, are really sweet and inspiring around like, man, here's where a terrible place in my life was and here's where I am now, I'm doing well. Uh, I've seen some around like, here's where I was when I was battling cancer and here's where I am now that I'm healed. And it's a really great trend, I, I love it. It can be both funny and inspiring. And I bring that up because I think that's a lot of what Paul is actually trying to do here in Romans 7. You see, Paul is trying to show the Roman Christians, this is who you were, this is what your life was like, and here's how it is now, or at least how it could be. 
And as we've seen, as we've picked up back in our Roman series, that Paul is, is really basing all of what he's uh, kind of commanding the Roman Christians to do. He's basing all of it on their identity. And, and so far, we've seen how the Roman Christians and we ourselves are released from sin and we're released from death. That we get some freedom from these perennial things that can drag our lives down and displease God. And then in this section, in Romans 7, he's going to lean into something that he's already mentioned in chapter 6, but he's kind of picking back up on it. And that's the idea of being released from the law. So in in Romans 6.15, Paul gives this little one-liner, which is a great one. Put it on a coffee cup. Sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then the rest of chapter 6 He kind of doesn't pick up that idea. He doesn't explain that idea. He just leans back into how you are dead to sin in Christ and alive to God. And then here he's picking it back up. And he's picking it back up for a specific reason. Because when Paul in his ministry, when you look at the New Testament, you see that one of the questions he was always having to confront was the question of, if grace abounds, like you said in chapter 5, Paul, and we're no longer held accountable, we're no longer condemned, at least, for our sins, doesn't that just give everyone permission to go and do whatever they want? Doesn't that just, when you relax people in grace, doesn't that just make them into lawless sinners? That they won't really take it seriously? Like, I, I just finished my church planting assessment through Stadia this last week. It was fantastic. I passed. You're going to hear more about that. But it was over Zoom, and... Uh, you know, <laughs> there's this guy named Dwayne um, who was on our Zoom call for the Stadia assessment. And, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're doing an assessment, you'd think that you would come prepared, you know, like look nice, do your hair, sit on like a, a couch with maybe a good background. But this, this guy, man, he was just like, he was in his bed. He was laying down. He was like scratching his stomach. And the whole time I'm just thinking, dude, this is not a Tinder date. <laughs> like, like, take this seriously, man. Don't just relax into, like, I know they said this is a laid back environment, but you literally don't have to lay back. And that's some of the fear that some Roman Christians had, specifically the Jewish ones, and that I think is an understandable one. Won't people just lay back and not just, they won't take seriously what they're supposed to be taking seriously? Well, Paul's answer is a resounding no. That being released from the law does not create lawless sinners for two reasons. Paul in Romans 7 is going to give two points that show how being released from the law doesn't create lawless sinners. Number one, being released from the law, we have a better belonging. And number two, being released from the law, we have a better method. So both of these, as we'll see, actually creates loving servants rather than lawless sinners. And it's a beautiful truth for us today. Let's start off Romans 7, starting in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. 
But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Paul's first argument from this text on why being released from the law doesn't create lawless sinners is done by showing that the Christian has a better place of belonging that actually leads to a fruitful life. And I want to lean into that idea of belonging because I I think it's fascinating that that's where Paul goes. That the first way Paul tries to show that it's good news that we're released from the law is through this idea of belonging. So let's explore that a little bit. What type of belonging is Paul describing here? How did we maybe, how did, uh, you know, people before Jesus, how did they belong to the law? What What did that look like? Well, why was the law given originally? For those of you who don't know, the law was given to Moses uh, on Mount Sinai in order, for, in order for him to expound it to the Israelites, teaching them how to relate to God moving forward. They had just been released and freed from the slavery of Egypt, and now God is giving them this system to show them, hey, here's how you relate to me as your Redeemer, your, your God, and your King. Here's how you relate to me. It was the means through which the Israelites related to God. It was there in order to teach the Israelites how to relate to a holy God and how to maintain that relationship. So the law was meant to be this this bridge that spanned the gap between God and the Israelites. The law was in some way the, the mediating factor between God and the Israelites. That's what the law was. That's how they belonged to the law. They belonged to the law as a mediating factor, as a mediator between them and God. So that if they followed it, they would have a healthy, secure relationship with God. So the Israelites belonging to the law meant that they were under its commands in order to maintain a relationship with God. And as you can imagine, this did not go over well for them. This did not turn out well for them because the law is not flexible. The law does not budge. The law is not malleable nor merciful. You must follow every iota of the law. When the book of the law is laid down as the determining factor between, for relationship between God and man, it goes really poorly for mankind. Because we can't keep the law. We can't. There's, there, there's no ability for us to obey it perfectly. And this leaves us with a cursed life. As Paul shows in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed is everyone who relies on works of the law. Paul just says that. He just makes the right assumption that 
If you rely on works of the law as the mediating factor between you and God, you are under a curse. Why? Because you cannot follow it and you must follow it or else things go poorly for you. And you see this all throughout the Old Testament. That the Israelites, the the Old Testament is basically one long story of the Israelites trying to do better and then really, really failing, trying to do better and then really, really failing. And then all the times they tried to do better, even in that, they were failing. They were failing because they were, they were looking to the law to prop themselves up before God. They were trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They were doing the things, but their heart was far from God, as the prophets say. So this never went well for them. To belong to the law means that it's the means through which you relate to God. And that, my friends, is the worst news in the world. That's a bad place of belonging because to rely on the law is to ensure your own condemnation. It's to certify your own condemnation. Because you can't do it. You can't keep every iota of the law, which means you stand under condemnation. You stand under a curse, as Paul said there in Galatians 3. You can't do it. And what type of people does that curse or that condemnation create? Think about it with me. If you are relying on works of the law in order to relate to God, and you can't do it, you can't ever get it together, what what are the two types of people that that would create in your mind? Well, first, it would create people who just try to do better and pull themselves up by their own moral bootstraps in order to wash away how they've already failed. In other words, it creates self-righteous, self-reliant, self-focused people. To stand under condemnation of the law, that puts you in a place where you have to then, uh, we'll get to the second one, where you have to get yourself together. You've got to wash over, you've got to minimize how you've already failed, and then just kind of put in front of God like all the ways that you're currently keeping the law, despite all the ways that you have failed in the past. And so that doesn't create a fruitful life. That doesn't create a fruitful life that's pleasing to God because you're simply trying to be, you're simply trying to show these inauthentic works to God as the reason why he should accept you even though you've failed a ton already. So you become a fruitless person. You become someone who can't actually offer service to God because the whole time you are self-righteous. You are self-reliant. And so even when you do well, you are pleased with the fact that you do well. And you take that as your own self-worth. That's not pleasing to God. Or if you are standing under condemnation because you are relying on works of the law in the past, you can also just give up. You can say, I'm done with this. I'm done trying. It's obvious I'm never going to make it work. And so I'm done trying whatsoever. You become self-focused, but in a different way. You just give up. You're liberated. 
Are either one of those options things that are pleasing to God? No. Neither one of those brings fruit to God. In their own way, they sabotage service to God by either focusing and relying on yourself, making yourself the point, or just totally giving up and making yourself the point by living the life you want to live regardless of how God commands. And so Paul shows here That's a bad way for people to be obedient to God because that belonging to the law ends up, you trace it out far enough, it ends up actually short-circuiting any sort of service or obedience to God. It cannot bring real fruit. Relying on the law, making that your place of belonging through which you relate to God dooms you to never actually obey God because you're either prideful or self-reliant, or not obeying God because you just quit and give up. That's the old place of belonging. But Paul says, through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been released from the law in order that we might belong to another. To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So Paul makes a connection there. That you were released from the law not to just be some free-floating moral agent, but actually to belong to Jesus Christ who's been raised from the dead. And all of that is done. You belong to this new person. You belong under this new system in order that you might bear fruit for God. Paul says, no, that your place of belonging, the way that's changed to now be under Jesus Christ, is actually the way that you belong, that you bear fruit for God. That's the way. Why is that? Why is it that belonging to Jesus Christ is a surefire way to bear wonderful fruit for God, even when you're released from the commands of the law? Well, Belonging to Jesus Christ means that we relate to God through him, and that is the safest formula in the world. Taking Jesus as our mediator rather than the law means that we can always be safe because it is never up to us. And this truth creates safety, and safety creates loving release. (laughs) When you belong to Jesus Christ, it's no longer up to you to uphold the perfection of the law, which means your relationship with God is utterly safe. And in that safety, you can actually serve God. You can actually look outward because you no longer have to look inward trying to save yourself. If we know that it's not up to us, and that we don't have to strive to maintain our relationship with God, then we can actually relate to God with honestly, honesty. We can relate to him openly. With Jesus as our mediator, being the one to whom we now belong, we're freed up from the perfection we can never achieve on our own. And in that belonging, in that type of place, we can then focus on relating to God rather than maintaining our own security through works. I want to say that again. In that type of belonging, a safe belonging to Jesus Christ who's done all the work for us, 
we can then focus on relating to God rather than maintaining our own security through works. That is the way forward for a fruitful life for God because you're no longer focused on yourself. You're freed up from that because of the perfection of Jesus Christ that's already paved the way for you. And you can actually look forward. You can actually look at God. You can actually see who he is. You can actually get to know this one who has saved you, who has called you to love him and to serve him. You can actually look at God rather than yourself. And that creates fruit in our lives like nothing else. When we're no longer focused on keeping our life together, but rather focused on keeping our love on God, there's some real and beautiful fruit that we can bear. Because friends, our God is lovely. That can bear fruit in our lives, looking at God rather than ourselves, rather than obsessing about how we're doing or how well we're not doing. Looking at God creates fruit in our life because He is lovely. There's this movie that came out a few years ago called uh, Silence. Uh, very intense movie. Uh, it's, a, it's about uh, these two men who were, uh, in the early 1800s, a Franciscan monk to the Chinese world. And they were living under a time of incredible persecution for Christianity in that area. Funny enough, it has the two main characters are Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield, which when you think of that, it's like, Really? Like these two are the Franciscan monks, but strangely, it works really well. And it's a, it's a really powerful movie. It's really intense. I would, I would encourage you to prepare yourself for it. And I remember after watching it, I had done a little bit of research on it, and I wanted to see, like, you know, who came up with this, who, who wrote this and directed this. And I found this interview with Andrew Garfield about his role in that movie. And in this interview, so Andrew Garfield is a method actor, which means that he's, uh, when he's going to take a role, he's going to live life as if he was actually that role that he's taking. Andrew Garfield, being a Franciscan monk, gave himself to the life of a monk. For, for months, he lived as if he actually was a Franciscan monk in order to really get the role in him and absorb it and do well. And I remember in this interview, the, the, the reporter or the interviewer asked Andrew, what was the most surprising part about making this movie? And because Andrew had spent months being a, a monk and living out that life, this was his answer. He slowed down, his eyes got a little misty-eyed, and with a little smile he said, I am surprised at how easy it was to fall in love with Jesus. He didn't even know how lovely Jesus was until he gave himself to just simply method acting and, and acting as if he was a monk. But in that acting, in that uh, strategy to do well in his role, he actually encountered Jesus and he saw, this person is lovely. And he was shocked by it at how easy it was to fall in love with Jesus. You see, friends, Belonging to Jesus creates fruit in our life, doesn't allow us to be lawless sinners but loving servants because our Savior is lovely. 
He is worthy. When we look at him and see how gentle he is, how accommodating he is, how merciful, how true, how gracious, how personable he is, our hearts fall in love with him and we want nothing more than to serve him. That's how belonging to Jesus rather than belonging to the law can create real fruit in our lives. And that's the goal, friends, to love Jesus, to stare at Jesus. And I want to ask you right now, how is that going for you? Are you, are you staring at Jesus in your life or are you staring at your own well-doing? Are you focused on where you're doing well, where you're doing poorly, and where you're just totally blowing up your whole life? Or are you focused on Jesus who has paved the way for you, who has freed you up from the need to focus on yourself, who has freed you up from having your own works and your own morality as the barometer of your relationship with God, are you looking at him? Because here's the truth, friends. As a Christian, we certainly have to analyze and see our life where it's falling out of step with the gospel. But friends, for every one look you look at yourself, for every one glance at yourself, look a thousand times more at Jesus. Because that's the only way change is going to happen. You will never change by looking inward, by navel-gazing, and trying to see how you can just do better. How you can just look at the law and say, okay, where am I doing this well? Where am I not doing this well? Uh, and then I'm going to put some strategies in place in order to do this well. That is never a good formula for actually bearing fruit for God. But what is, is to look up. To look up at Jesus Christ, who's paved the way for you, who is worthy of all love and praise, who is the most lovely person in the world, and to let your heart be so ravished that you are changed from the inside out, that your practical life slowly begins to match with the loving principle that's in your heart, growing and growing and growing as you stare at Jesus. And so friends, are you staring at how well you're doing or how well you're not doing? Or are you looking at Jesus? Because the truth is, you don't belong to how well you're doing. You belong to Jesus Christ. And that is the better way for real fruit to actually happen. That's the first thing Paul shows. That the way being released from the law doesn't create lawless sinners is because we're actually freed up to belong to someone who's better. Next, not only that, we have a better place of belonging, but we also have a better method by which we obey God. Look at the text with me. In verse 5, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There's a, a, a new method that Paul gives us in order to obey God, in order to serve God and not become lawless sinners. And the way he shows this is by showing in verse 5 that the law 
actually short-circuited its own purposes because it exacerbated the sinful passions of rebellious sinners. So again, remember, Paul's trying to show how being released from the law doesn't create lawless sinners. And he does that by showing, hey, when you were bound to the law, that actually brought some things up in you that kicked up the dust of your sinful heart and made you all the more rebellious to bear fruit for death. That's the bad news that we are so rebellious that if you tell us what to do, we will do the opposite. If you tell us what to do, if you put any outside restraint on us, we will do everything in our power to break free from that. We want to be free moral agents to determine our own life. We are our own God. We are our own king. And you tell us what to do. Okay, I'll take that and I'll learn how to not do that. I'll learn how to do the exact opposite of that. That's how hostile we are to God. That's how rebellious our hearts are. We want to get free from every outside restraint. Have you ever experienced this? What happens whenever someone you don't like tells you to do something? Even if it's like a good command, even if it's a wise advice, if you don't like that person, in fact, if you hate that person, You will take their command, you will even take their advice as offensive. You'll say, no, 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 no. So that boss that you can't stand, that coworker that just grates your nerves, and they tell you to do something, objectively, it could be a good thing. It could be a wise thing. It could even be a loving thing. But because of the prior framework that's there for the relationship, you take that advice and say, I can't believe you'd say that to me. I can't believe you'd try to tell me what to do. And in your own heart, you just try to, you either just get, you have this anger fantasy in your heart around what it would look like to actually tell that person off, or you just go and do exactly the opposite of what they told you. And in our flesh, that's what happens because we don't just not like God in our flesh. In fact, we are so rebellious that we hate God in our flesh. We hate God him, which we're going to explore a little bit later in Romans as Paul will show. So any command he would give us would then connect with our flesh and then energize our rebellion all the more. You tell me to do this, okay, I'm going to do the opposite. That's how bad we are in our flesh. That's how hostile we are to God. Born sinners, curved inward selfishly as the own as our own god of our lives and so any outside command that god gives actually short circuits what it's trying to do because it comes against it connects with the rebellion in our hearts that's already there and energizes that rebellion forward so no you can't rely on the law to obey god Because in your flesh, you don't want to obey God. In fact, you are hostile to God. And so, actually, the law, if you want to stay over there, that's another surefire way way to ensure that you never obey God. But now, as Paul says, we serve not in the old way, but in the new way of the Spirit. In the new way of the Holy Spirit, when we trust in Jesus, we are given a new nature by the Holy Spirit that is, that is sensitive to God. 
that loves him, that sees his beauty, that is slowly being curved back outward to see God for who he is rather than to be pitiful, self-obsessed demigods. And with a heart like that, obedience to God is no longer about outward pressure, but inward power. It's no longer about outward pressure, pressuring us into something we already don't want to do, but it's about inward power, compelling us forward with a new nature to do exactly that because we love God. When the old way of the written code was in place, it exacerbated our rebellion and never gave us the real substance of obedience. But in the new way of the Spirit, we can serve God authentically, with honesty, with realness, because our natures are changed. When you encounter Jesus, and you trust in him, you see the sin in your life, the way that you've rebelled against God. And then you see there hanging on the cross, the son of God in order to save you, your heart breaks. The hardness of your heart becomes malleable, becomes soft. And now you love this great God with a new with a new nature and you serve God, not because you're offering a service or transaction in order to prop up your own self-worth, but actually because our hearts are softened towards him and we want to obey him. That's the better method. The old method of obeying the law in the flesh out of your own power, because that was the point of your life, actually created the opposite. That in your heart there was such hostility toward God that any command from him would have ensured that you would not do that thing. But now, now in Jesus Christ, you say yes to his commands. You see there's, there, his commands now connect with something different in your heart that energizes love, that energizes service. And that's the better method that you see who God is and you don't serve him because of outward pressure, but because of inward power by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's, that's why being released from the law is good news. Because let's be honest, you know, we may not hold the law in the same regard that the Jewish Christians did here in Rome, but man, some, you know, a lot of us, even those of us who are not type A people, <laughs> We judge our own standard of life by how well we're doing. And I, if you hear nothing else, I just want you to hear that you have been freed from that drudgery of a life. You've been freed from that despair, that burden that would say who you are and what you're worth to God is directly connected to how well you're doing. Can you imagine the peace that would flow into your life if you trusted in Jesus, if you leaned back into his perfection? Because here's the truth of it. The law does require perfection. And where perfection is not there, it requires payment. But the beauty of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, at his cross, both of those requirements were filled. 
that Jesus was the perfect one. There was not one iota of the law in which Jesus stepped out of bounds. He always submitted himself to God. He always loved God. He always loved neighbor. He lived a perfect life, and yet he died a sinner's death for our payment. And now through faith in him, we receive his perfection. We receive his righteous record as our own. And the payment of all of our failures has been laid on him, satisfied at the cross. And when you see that, it does some things in your heart. Consider for a moment the weight of burden that Jesus selflessly took on for you. Try to feel in your bones. Try to remember and feel. Some of you don't have to remember because you're feeling it right now. The utter shame and weight of guilt of having disobeyed God again in the same exact way. Think of the way that's messed with you psychologically, how you've tried to just do things on your own from then. How that's totally zapped joy from your heart. That weight, that's what Jesus endured. It says in Galatians that Jesus born under the law and took on the curse of the law in order that we might be freed from the law. Jesus became a curse for us that we might receive his blessing. And so if you hear nothing else today, would you hear today that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for you to be able to relate to God in peace and in love? So drop that burden at the cross. Drop that sense of despair. Drop that desire for perfection, for proving yourself to God. Drop it at the cross. Those things are totally unnecessary in the Christian life. They are burdens and weights that will actually keep you back from living the Christian life with fruit. Friends, we are released from the law because of Jesus Christ who endured it. We are released through the law through the body of Christ, as Romans 7 says. When we see that, our hearts are captured with wonder and we are compelled forward to obey Not out of burden, not even out of requirement, but out of rich love for our Savior who is worthy. That's the better way. Let's follow in it. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for Jesus Christ. that, That his grace that has saved us from the endless woe of the law doomed by law to endless woe, doomed by law to fail all the more and to just add to our negative account sin upon sin upon sin, guilt upon guilt upon guilt. That weight has been taken off of our shoulders and placed on Jesus Christ. God, let our hearts get that and receive it by your Spirit's power. It's such a beautiful truth, so dense with beauty, it can't fit into our hearts naturally. We need your superpower, supernatural power in order to receive that. Would you free my friends here from the guilt and despair of keeping the law? 
and give them the peace of security in Jesus Christ. And as they rest secure in Jesus, may their hearts be energized in love to obey and to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.